Good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you very, very much, Murray and um, Liana and Amar. It's great to have you with us, a surprise guest this morning. So good. Um, it wasn't a surprise that they were in Raleigh, but it's a surprise that they chose to come here this morning. So that's really lovely. Ah, Well, I'm going to speak this morning on maturing in sonship. We've had a month, well, five Sundays in May, uh, a month of speaking about the Holy Spirit. And even though this isn't part of that, um, uh, my mind's gone blank, series. Thank you, John. Uh, I just, as I was waiting on the Lord, I felt the Holy Spirit just really laying it upon my heart that he wanted me to share this week, this Sunday, today, about the spirit of sonship. And so the message is titled, Maturing in Sonship. And uh, uh, I want you to turn with me, please, to the book of Galatians and chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, we read, You've all become sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Our sonship is not something that's established by us. Our sonship has been purposed in the heart of God before the foundation of the world. And we became sons of God the moment we came into faith in Jesus Christ. Going to church doesn't make you a son of God. Reading the Bible doesn't make you a son of God. Prayer doesn't make you a son of God. Fasting doesn't make you a son of God. Going on missions all over the world doesn't make you a son of God. You can do all of those things and still not be a son. But I'm so ever so pleased to tell you that becoming a son of God is simply a matter of believing in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you've all become sons of God, Paul says. And he goes on to say, picking up in verse 1, Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child or she's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though they are master of all. But they're under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. I want you to notice right there, I'm just going to take a pause, the word right there, children, technon. Everybody is born a child of God. Every one of us are created children of God. We were created uh, by God and he, didn't, he could have spoken us into being like he spoke the sun into being, the moon into being and everything else in all of creation. I mean, he spoke trillions of stars into being. They don't know how many galaxies there are, let alone how many stars there really are in each galaxy. There's trillions of them and yet he just spoke them into being. Why? Well, because he's God. But when it came to you and I, because of his love. His love meant that he could not simply speak us into being, even though he could have done because he's God. But because God is love, that means he's lover, beloved, and love. You cannot be love if you're not a lover, if you're not the beloved, and if you're not the love that's eternally flow between the lover and the beloved and the beloved and the lover. And because God is love, and God said, let us make human beings in our image, God, who is love, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, lover, beloved, and love, stepped into this world that they created, that he created for us, and stepped into dust and dirt and got his hands dirty with us. He, he knit us together with his bare hands. He's touched you all over you. He's covered you in his fingerprints. In fact, um, if you were to look closely at me, you'd see that I've got some lines on my forehead now. Um, and it seems to me as a 53-year-old, halfway through my life, I've got somehow these lines seem to be getting longer and wider and deeper. And then I've got these little lines here in the corner of my eye, and then I've got other little lines appearing. And it seems like the more and more years go by, the more and more lines appear, and I finally figured it out. It's my daddy's fingerprints that are all over me that are actually just becoming more and more apparent as my body's getting closer and closer to meeting him. So I don't know why I'd be spending my life trying to erase those lines. And happily wear those lines with honor. And so those of you that have got a few more lines than I have, congratulations. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, his huios in Greek, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem the, those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as huioses, that we would become not just merely technons, children of God, but we would become sons of God with the full rights of inheritance, knowing that we're not just children of God, but we're sons getting ready to be just like our daddy, getting ready, being matured into a place of maturity where we actually are not just trying to be like him, he already made us in his image, but we're actually representing him because of the fullness of the deity dwelling in bodily form right here, right here. Just as he did with Jesus, now he's doing with his entire body, the body of Christ, the body of Jesus. The one who fills all things in every way is, has filled you with Jesus. He's made you and Jesus one. He's the spirit of the son, the spirit of Huios has made you through Adoption has made you one with huios. So you are now a huios in the huios. That's a lot of huios. What that means simply is that the father has had an eternal beloved from eternity and into eternity. He made you and I out of the dust of the earth. Then he sent his son into the world because we rejected him. So he sent his son into the world to bring us back to him. And his son who allowed himself to take upon himself the very form of that same dust. In that condition, as Murray so brilliantly led us in, he went all the way to the cross so that you and I could become the beloveds in the beloved in the love of the lover forever. And in our union with him, we would be forever dependent and interdependent upon him and upon one another. In fact, Love needs, everybody. Love needs. Say that with me. Love needs. And I thought about that. Love needs. Huh. Somebody once challenged me. I'll come to the story in a minute. 
And he said, love needs. And I thought about that. I thought, wait a minute, God doesn't need anybody except for the fact that God is love. You can't be love if you're merely a lover. If there's just a lover, if God is love means he's a lover and he's alone and he's been alone for all of eternity, then who does he love? In fact, who is it who's saying, wow, you're a lover! For love to be loved, there must have always been a beloved that the lover loves. But the beloved, he's not alone. Because for the beloved to be the beloved, there must be a lover who defines him as a beloved. And so you see right there, love needs. And the lover needs the beloved so that he can love the beloved the beloved needs the lover so that he can love the lover. But what is it that they both have? The very love himself, the Holy Spirit. Think about a father, to be a father has to have a son. It's the son's presence that defines the father as the father. It's the father's presence that defines the son as the son. Love needs everybody, okay? And within the Trinity... They don't need anybody outside of the Trinity, but within the Trinity, love needs. And God created us in his image, in the image of the lover, the beloved, and the love. And we were created to need, to give and to receive love. And the beautiful news of the gospel is that we've all become sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That means that we're now the beloved in the beloved. That means that we now can receive constantly this same love that the Father has loved the Son with. And we can love the Father with the same love that the Son has loved the Father with. All we have to do is just simply believe. And But the beautiful thing is, is that that belief is not some static, abstract thing because that belief is what all that it takes for the Spirit of God himself to flow to us and from us. To us and from us. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. We don't know how to love, but we know how to, but we can love because God, who is love, has loved us. And with that love now, we can love not just God with the love he's worthy of, but we can love one another with the love that each other are worthy of from God. In fact, the Bible's really clear that if you say you love God, but you hate your brother who you can't see, you're a liar. Whew, man, that's, whew, whew. that's tough. Yeah, you know that neighbor whose dog is always barking and you're like, shut up, please. You're that person who just cut you up on the freeway. You're like. Or that friend that's part of your connect group and all they do is talk the whole time and you're like, shut up, please. Goodness gracious. Or that colleague that got chosen to do the job you're, you were supposed to get promoted for, you know? Can't believe that they did that. How in the world did they get that? I'm better than them. Yeah, all of those people, they're children of God. And you know, the thing about God is that God loves those that are not like him. 
That's how you know what real genuine love is. Real genuine love is not love when you love those that deserve that love. Genuine love is not when you love the people that are like you. Genuine love is not when you love people that think like you. Genuine love is not love when you love somebody because you just see an awful lot of you in them. You're like, wow, I, I, I really like you. I love you. You're great. You think like me. You talk like me. You look like me. <laughs> Man, you make me feel good. I'm all about you because I love me and you. That's not love. In fact, you'll discover when you're with a group of people that love you because you're like them, you'll find out that actually that's not true love at all. The moment you have a different experience and you come joyfully to share with them that you now think differently to them, you'll discover very, very quickly that that community is not loving you at all. That community was simply accepting you on account of the fact you think like them. Well, now don't get too much in agreement with me. You see, because if we're not careful, we find it really hard to truly love the world around us. But when we mature in this sonship, we realize that God's not asking us to love the world with our love. He's asking us to simply yield and as sons and daughters to depend on the full access through faith on everything that's ours in our inheritance, which is God himself, and let God be who he is through us. So that we're not trying to be Christ-like, we are Jesus being manifested in flesh and blood in that moment through the same Spirit of God. Not in place of Jesus, he will always be who he is without you and me. Don't get me wrong. However, it is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so now I send you, John 20, 21. What to do? To... And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And what was the Holy Spirit that they received? The spirit of love, the spirit of sonship, the spirit who enabled Jesus to do all the miracles that Jesus did that were the testimony that it was not Jesus doing all of his works but it was the father living in Jesus that did all of his works because Jesus himself had received the spirit of adoption at the at the waters of baptism the heavens were torn open the voice spoke you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased but it wasn't just the words as the words of the Father were spoken, the Spirit of the Father descended, and the Spirit of the Son descended upon Jesus like a dove. And Jesus felt, he felt the love of the Father. He literally experienced, I, I don't know if it was, but I think of it like liquid golden honey on the inside of him and on the outside of him. And as we step into this place through faith where the spirit of sonship completely takes us over and we live as sons and daughters instead of living as orphans, but we live in a place of complete dependency in the Trinity, with the Trinity, instead of living on our own in a place of independence where we don't need anybody, we start to represent Jesus. We're not representing him, we're representing him. Literally in that moment, when you're at home 
with your kids that are being sassy for the I don't know how many times, and you allow the Holy Spirit to love your children in the midst of their unlovability, you represent Jesus to them. Because trust me, they know darn well they're being naughty. And when you love them with a love they don't deserve, they know it. I can remember one time, my daughter was like five years old. She can remember it. I said to her, there was some misdemeanor. In the moment, it felt extraordinarily important. Now, 20 years later, 22 years later, I'm like, man, what was the big deal, Dunk? But anyway, it seemed important to me at the time. I'm like, so, you know, so... I won't go into all the details, but in a, in a way that didn't subject her to public shame, I said to her, hold your hand out, honey. And she's like, what? Because she knew she was in trouble. She's like, oh my gosh, my dad is going to smack my hand, my little five-year-old hand. I said, put your hand right there, honey. So she put my, her hand right there. And with all of my might, I slapped this part of my hand so hard missing her hand completely. And I smacked my own hand so hard, I would have been arrested by the police. Except it was self-harm. And all of that was my absolute intention. And she jumped out of her skin and then realized I'd hit my hand. And I looked at her and I said, Honey, everything that just happened... It costs someone something. It costs your family. It caused pain. I've taken it all for you. And she just started crying right there. And yeah, it was a, it was a good behavior adjustment moment. She never did that again, whatever it was. <laughs> and I got to teach her the gospel on a whole nother level. By the way, just so that you know, I never did hit her hand and make it red, ever. It wasn't like that's what we did and I just, you know. So, I want you to just, I want to take you on a, a little journey for just a few moments. And as I was preparing for this, the Holy Spirit began to show me that this morning he wants to come upon us the spirit of adoption. In Romans 8 and verse 15, which is the parallel passage to this one that we're just reading in Galatians, actually the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of adoption. And let's go to verse 5. To redeem those who are under the law of Galatians 4, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. In the parallel passage, it says in Romans that we might receive the spirit of adoption. You, I want you to understand that your adoption was by the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit's activity, there is no adoption. And we're adopted into the Son, into the Father. We're adopted by the Eternal Spirit into the Eternal Son because of what the Eternal Son did on the cross for us and into 
union with him and now we're into eternal union with the Father by the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of Jesus on the inside of you. Not only that, but you are immersed into the Father in the Son. And verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Daddy. There are nations in the world that, where the children call Daddy, Abba, Abba. And when I've been to those nations, and when you're there, you really understand this passage of Scriptures for real. Like from this moment, you can spend the rest of your life calling God Daddy. Now, my daughter, who's 27 years old, we have three girls. Our eldest is 27 years old. She has three children. She's a graduate of UNC uh, Chapel Hill. And uh, uh, she's married to Aaron, and the two of them are on staff. They're associate pastors here. And she still calls me Daddy. She doesn't spend much time on my lap, though. In the beginning, she spent a lot of time on my lap. In fact, for the first several months, she was either in my arms or in her mother's arms or in our laps or on our hip. Can you imagine if we were still walking around with her like that? I mean, that would be really rough, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be extraordinary. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? This is my daughter, my 27-year-old daughter. Would you pray for my back? It's kind of... You know that some of you are still treating the father like that? You're still wanting him to walk around with you in his lap the whole time? Your heavenly father I'm talking about? And he will. That's the amazing thing. He will. He'll carry you in his lap. He'll carry you on his hip. He'll carry you in his arms. He said to Israel, I carried you through the wilderness in my arms. And he will do that for you. And you know what? You can even spend your whole time just saying goo goo ga ga ba ba and he'll happily love you constantly. And in fact, there's an element in which that never leaves us. Just like my daughter, Jess, now that she's 27, all the time that she spent in my lap and on my hip and in my arms and her mother's lap and arms and her mother's breast, all of that established this foundation of her sonship in our family so deep to the core that she is like secure and does the same with our grandchildren. But that's something that she now carries in her heart. And she's really glad that when, I, when she went to university, I wasn't there running around after her. Because it would have been awkward. So I'm here to tell you this morning that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of sonship and wants to mature us in our sonship. He wants us to grow up. And one of the biggest areas that he wants us to grow up in is in the area of understanding that love actually needs, that we need one another. Because in the kingdom, everything's topsy-turvy. It's upside down. It's the upside down kingdom. In the world, for you to grow up means for you to mature and become completely independent and dependent on nobody. In the kingdom of heaven, the the the. the uh, uh, pathway to maturity is for you to become ever increasingly dependent 
on the invisible God, not just sitting in his lap, but allowing him to flow through you in every single moment of your life where it's not about you, but it's all about Jesus. And the word adoption, by the way, in Greek, huios, uh, sorry, in Greek is huiothesai, which is a compound word of huios and tithemai. Huios means son, to be placed as a son, but tithemai means to be placed properly figuratively and literally into a horizontal position of rest. Ah, oh, wow, I died with Christ. Now I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. I can be on his lap anytime I want or I can be in the boardroom of heaven anytime I want. I can be on his hip with him carrying me or I can be out in the world doing miracles, signs, and wonders. Everywhere I go, just like Jesus, John 5, 19, Jesus said, it's not, it's not me who does the works. The, he actually says, the son can do nothing of himself but only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does in like manner. John 5, 20, the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Oh, man. Wow, you know the problem with our lives, everybody, is that we can do them so well without God. You know, we get confused because we do things like drive a car, for example. And I know there's a song, Jesus, take the wheel, but trust me, you better hold on to that wheel. But the person who wrote that song was trying to help us to understand, figuratively speaking, that actually we've died and our life is now hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3.3, and Jesus really does want to take the wheel, but he's waiting for us to allow him to take the wheel out of a place of maturing in sonship, Jesus, take the wheel. But I've got the wheel, but you take the wheel. The problem is, Driving, you can do it without Jesus. So that's not a helpful area to try to learn how to let Jesus take the wheel of your life. You know what the best place is to learn how to let Jesus take the wheel of your life? Impossibility. Because it's in the realm of impossibility, which by the way, we all run from, like we run a mile from. But it's in the realm of impossibility that then is the place that you can see that Jesus truly shines. Because that's the only place that he can actually be who he is through, through us and in us. That's why Jesus centered so much on his works. So much of his teaching was about his works. It's not me. It's my father in me who does his works. The works that I do, it's not me. It's my father living in me. And what were those works? It wasn't steering the donkey on the way into G Jerusalem. That wasn't what he was talking about. He was talking about when the blind man's eyes were opened, when the 5,000 were fed, when the storm was stopped, when the deaf and mute man spoke, when the dead girl was raised. It's all the supernatural miracles that Jesus said. It's those works that testify that it's the Father living in me. And I want to suggest to you, Catch the Fire family, church family, this week, let's create 
margins, moments in our lives where we seize upon the opportunity for the invisible God to manifest himself through us. Where instead of stepping away from the impossible, we run right into the impossible, knowing that you remember that you are horizontally placed in a position of rest, where you as a, as a person, and you're not dependent on your own resources, that's what orphans are, but you're dependent on Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit's resources for you. In fact, I want to encourage you, every time you think, oh man, I'm so tired. Every time you think, oh man, I can't do this. Every time you think, oh, I just wish this would stop. All of those moments are you beginning to get to the place where you're running out of you. And rather than complaining that you're running out of you, start to celebrate, oh, here we go, I'm running out of me. Now I'm going to see Jesus. Lord, would you flow through my body that's tired? Lord, would you flow in this moment? My friend's sick. I need you to heal my friend, but you're going to do it through me. Lord, I feel something. My friend has a need. Lord, would you give me a word of knowledge that would just bring comfort and, and counsel to my friend? Whatever it might be, in that moment where you come to the end of you, you'll discover the beginning of Christ. And you'll start to grow up in your sonship. You know, um, a number of years ago, I was in Toronto. I was the executive director. I was 35 years old. I'd been there for three years. I was the executive director, which is a fairly important position, in a large church with a thousand people coming every night. I really was full of a lot of me. And uh, I guess because of that, a man by the name of Jack Frost, who I love in my memory with all my heart, has gone to be with Jesus now, but he introduced us to the Father's love. He came up to me, okay? Now, I had had a number of RTF weeks. I had had, you know, sort of counseling. I'd been to encounter weekends. I mean, I was on my way to becoming a better Duncan. And he came up to me and had the audacity to say, you know, Duncan, I think it would be really good for you if you spent a week with my personal counselor who's on staff down in South Carolina at our base. His name's Johnny. And I'm like, that's rude. What do you mean spend some time with Johnny? I don't need to spend any time with Johnny. Why do I need to spend any time with Johnny? I'm from Toronto. We're the house of revival. We're the house of healing. We don't need your guy that you've got on staff. You have so many problems. You've got to have a guy on staff with you. <laughs> of course, I never said any of that to Jack. I just said, oh, that's a great idea, Jack. Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> and so anyway, I agreed. I don't know why I agreed. I guess maybe to make Jack like me a bit more. And I started filling out all these forms. 30 pages. 30 pages of forms. You know what, though? I didn't mind one bit. It was 30 pages of me being able to talk about me. And I wrote so many impressive things about me. I was convinced that by the end of that 30 pages, Johnny would probably think, yep, what was the point of having this guy come down? Man, those guys up there in Toronto, they are really whole and healed. And not just that, but seriously impressive. And so I go down there with Kate, and we agreed that Kate would go in the afternoons, I'd go in the morning, so I would go first. And... Um, 
And, you know, the night before, I started getting slightly... I started getting in touch with the first time in a couple of months since I'd filled the forms out um, with my heart, and I began to think, oh, gee, what did I say? Huh. Oh, no. I think I could have said that more impressively. Oh, no, I think I could have said that more impressively as well. Oh, my gosh. By the time I got in there the next morning, I was feeling pretty terrified. I got in touch with just how inadequate. Actually, I was. And uh, I sat there, and as soon as I sat in the office, I really became very terrified. Because Johnny and his wife, Johnny was an elderly man, and he was sitting in a rocking chair, and his wife was on his right, and I was sitting on this, it felt like a bench. And I'm sitting there, and he just started looking at me. Then he started staring at me. And he was really staring at me. And at first I was thinking, he's staring at me. He's staring at me. He's not saying anything either. And I don't like silence. I like to fill silence. And he kept staring at me and staring at me. And then I'm thinking, that's a friendly stare. I think that's a friendly stare. That's a friendly stare. That's not a friendly stare. Oh, my goodness. That's not a friendly stare. That is a, that's a, that's a, that's a mean stare. Oh, my goodness. Please stop staring at me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started thinking about all the things that I'd ever did that were wrong and I was thinking he can see every single one of those things inside my eyeballs right now <laughs> 15 minutes he stared at me in silence that was about as uncomfortable as I've ever been in my entire life and then he looked at me and he goes yeah yeah I know what your problem is son I knew it from the first time I read the first page of your forms. I thought, good gracious, what was it like by the time he got to the 30th page? <laughs> hate me. He goes, yep, yeah, that's right, yes, son, yep, yeah, I know what's wrong with you. I'm thinking, please. <laughs> yeah, you got the spirit of Esau. Now, folks, I've read my Bible long enough to know that that was not a compliment. <laughs> and he goes, yep, you got the spirit of Esau, you got the spirit of independence. You don't need anybody. You were sent to boarding school when you were young, when you were a young boy, and you grew up and you were determined, I don't need anybody. I don't need my parents. I don't need all the school teachers. I don't need any of my friends. I can do without them. If my parents are not with me, screw you, mom and dad. I'm on my own. I'll make it anyway. If my teachers don't like me and I don't do well, screw you too. I'll be fine without you. If my friends don't like me or their parents take them back to England or back to America, yep, screw you too. I don't even need you guys. Yep. And now I don't need, he goes, you don't need your pastor? I'm like, that's true. You don't need the church? I'm like, of course I don't. You don't need your wife? I'm like, that's true too. You don't need your kids? Nailed it. You don't need anybody because you are fine on your own. In fact, you don't even want anybody else in your life in case you have to share the glory with them. You love it when you can talk about your ideas. You love it when you can talk about your successes and your failures. You love any conversation as long as it's revolving around talking about you. Because you got the spirit of Esau, Duncan. But the word of God says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. 
Strangely, Jacob means deceiver and supplanter. And God says, Jacob, deceiver and supplanter, I loved. Esau, I hated. And Jacob, I realized, though he was wrong and wanted to supplant everything, I thought about it. He allowed his own mother to help him to get his birthright. He allowed Esau to help him get his birthright. In fact, he allowed Laban to give him his children. In all of the midst of his supplanting, Jacob had one thing going for him. He recognized he needed the world around him and his family in order for him to become what God had created him to ultimately become. And because of that, even though he got so many things wrong, God loved him in the midst of all of his wrongness. Because God can do more with you and I when we say, God, I realize I've screwed up and I need you. Then when we show up and say, I'm so glad I don't need anybody. I'm amazing. I'm not like this person over here, you know, who sinned and screwed up and all the rest of it. I'm amazing. I've been to the best university. I've got the most money. I drive the nicest cars and drive in the nicest. I live in the nicest house. None of that's true. It's just in my head wishing I had it. Do you get what I'm saying? Because the whole point, the whole purpose of the human life is for us to understand we're the beloveds that God is looking for us to spend eternity with him in community, not on our own in self-isolated independence with a spirit of Esau that says, I don't need anybody. And because Jacob was a person who depended, even wrestled with God, you, you can't wrestle if you don't need anybody. There's no one to wrestle if you're on your own. And Jacob wrestled with God because Jacob reckoned, realized he needed God. And he wouldn't let him go until he blessed him. And God said, your name's Jacob Supplanter, but from now on, it's Israel, which means prince with God. God's got a calling and a destiny on your life. And you know what that calling and destiny is? To take the eye that you love to talk about, that I like to talk about so much, that eye, and put a slash straight through the middle of it and turn it into a cross. Because he's not remotely interested in what we've done or what we'll do. He's interested in Jesus has paid for it all and Jesus will do it all through the spirit, of the, the spirit of sonship. He'll do everything. And when you stand on judgment day, you'll be commended for the life of Jesus, not for what you've done. Let's stand, everybody. Let's stand because we want to get rid of that spirit of Esau. And we need the Holy Spirit to move right now upon us. The spirit of adoption to bring us to a place of maturity, to mature us as sons. And what does that mean? To bring us to a place of complete interdependence on God and interdependence on one another. Where we're not walking like rugged individuals. That's the American, whole American psyche is independence. And I'm not getting, I don't want to get political now. I understand what independence means. I celebrate, I celebrate our independence in that sense. But if we're not careful, we'll live this life as orphans. And you can be a rich orphan and you can be a poor orphan, but you're still an orphan. Or you can live a life as a son. And the tragedy is you can be a son in the father's house and behave like an orphan the whole time. See, Esau had a dad. 
Esau's dad was Isaac. Jacob's dad was Isaac. They both had the same dad. One was dependent, the other was independent. And the one that became prince with God was not the independent one, was not the strong one, was not the hunter that went out and hunted and hunted. Hairy monster. The one who could make the best game stew. No, he was not the one that God loved. The one that God loved was the one who had one thing going for him. He realized he needed everybody else in his life. If you would like, so I went on to, in that moment, surrender to love for the first time in my life. I realized I really don't need anybody and I absolutely do need right now very badly. And he's, he led me th- through a prayer and delivered me from the spirit of Esau. And I want to do that for you this morning. And if in your heart, you, you know in your heart that you, like me, really, really need the spirit of adoption upon you, and you want to say bye-bye to the spirit of Esau, I want you to come out here to the front. Just, just come out. If, I, if this message has touched you, I'm expecting all of you, to, well, not all of you, but many of you to come out, not all of you. But if you really, just push past your friend, just say, excuse me a minute, I need to, I need to get out to the front. I want to meet with God. I want to give up my independent ways. I want to learn to be not just a, not just a child and not, not merely a son, but I want to become a friend of God. I want to, I want to become a trusted person like, like Jacob, who no matter how I start, Lord, I thank you. I've, I've supplanted, I've deceived, I've done all kinds of stuff. I've really screwed my life up. Lord, I've been like Esau. Just say this with me in your heart. Lord, I've been like Esau. Sometimes I'm like Jacob. A lot of the time I'm like Esau. For those of you that are in this room or watching online right now, if you know that you've, you don't need anybody, if you're really honest, you've got that sense, you'll be fine on your own. I want you to, if you would like to, surrender that to the Lord right now. Say, Lord, I ask your forgiveness with all my heart for the spirit of Esau that I've allowed to grip my life. I'm sorry that I don't need anyone. Lord, I recognize today that love needs. I realize today, Lord, I I need you. I need your body. I need my friends. I need my spouse. I need my parents. I need my children. I I need, Lord. Lord, I, I welcome right now you to come and fill my life with the spirit of adoption Holy Spirit come right now descend upon me now take a deep breath of the Holy Spirit each of you and just breathe out all that independence right now breathe that spirit of Esau take a deep breath and breathe it out boom out it goes in Jesus name right off and out of your body soul and spirit In Jesus' name, Shekarabah. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would settle upon your kids right now and that you would create in them that beautiful maturity that comes from being a fully dependent, mature son and daughter in your family. And Lord, I pray that every person in this this 
that's come up here to the front, Lord, you would start to cause their life to explode. The spirit of the Son. And that you do amazing miracles and supernatural signs and wonders in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Whoa. Whoa. And this week, I want to encourage you, just stay in the spirit because I want to ask the prayer ministry team to start laying hands on folks up here. So stay in the spirit, but I want to address all of us in the room this week. I want to give you some homework. I want you to make a decision that you're not going to use the word I but instead use the word we when you're talking about the things you have done or the things you're about to do or whatever. You'll know the appropriate moment and you'll catch yourself. You'll be shocked how many times you say, I I have this idea. I think we should do this or I think we should do that. Or I I was doing this once and so and so. And and it's all self-puffery, self-aggrandizement. I want to encourage, it's all orphan language. I want to encourage you to say we. Because even if it was not you and another human being, it was you and the Holy Spirit. And just say we. We're going to do this. We did that. We had this idea. We think this. And just see this week how different your life can be. Just simply learning to say we. And slaying that I. I. 